Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Matt Noble. I'm the pastoral assistant here and uh, deacon of music. And uh, I'm going to be standing at the back after the sermon. If, if you have uh, never met me, I'd love to get to know you and pray for you if I can. Well, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm a big music fan. Uh, and this was instilled in me by my dad. Uh, so one of the ways that we bonded growing up is that he would always show me music. We'd always listen to the Beatles. Uh, one of our favorite bands, though, was U2. Um, and so my dad had this giant stereo system. He's been building it for like 40 years and trading out parts and stuff like that. Uh, but we would listen to U2's The Joshua Tree over and over again. It's a really good album if you never listened to it. Uh, and he even took me at one point, we went to see uh, U2 at the Cowboys Stadium. And so we saw them on the giant screen in the Jerry Dome. It was really cool. Well, personally, my favorite song by U2 is Sunday Bloody Sunday. If you don't know it, you should. It's got like 140 million plays on Spotify. So it's a big song. But while the song has a cool guitar riff, and it's got an awesome violin at the solo at the end that Mary should learn, uh, <laughs> It also asks deep questions about the human experience. The song was actually written in response to a mass shooting in Northern, North, Northern Ireland in 1972. And 14 protesters were killed by the British Army. And this event is now known as Bloody Sunday. And so years later, about I think 11 years later, you two sang these words in response to the, the event. They said this, I can't believe the news today. Oh, I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? How long? How long? Have you ever asked God how long? Have you ever seen evil and asked God why? My guess is that all of us have asked these questions at one point or another, and we ask these questions because we live in a world that's been marred by sin and death. And so we don't have to look far to see this is true. I imagine that if you opened your phone right now, which don't do, unless you're taking notes, and pulled up the news, you'd find story after story of violence, corruption, and death. I'm sure that for some of us at our jobs, we might have those around us who are unethical in their business practices. They might take advantage of others for their own gain. And in our neighborhoods, we see the effects of violence and abuse in the homes of our neighbors. And even in our own families, we feel the wounds of past sins maybe a family member has caused. And we see those that we love wither away from sickness and death. And so again, you don't have to look far to see sin and death. It's all around you whether you want to believe it or not. And so we pray to God and ask, why do you let evil persist? We ask, how long will you put up with wickedness? Sometimes we're tempted to ask, God, do you really care? 
God, if you're holy and powerful, couldn't you put a stop to all of this? Well, if you've asked these questions, there's good news. You're not alone. And we find the prophet Habakkuk asking these same questions in our text this morning. So if you're not there, go ahead and flip to it. It's going to be in about the middle of your Bible. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 1. If you've landed in Nahum for some reason, keep going to the right. If you've landed in Zephaniah, keep going to the left. And so you might be here this morning and you're asking, why are we studying Habakkuk? I don't even know how to say Habakkuk. That's the part of my Bible where the pages stick together. Well, the opening verses give us a good reason for why we should study and meditate on this book. We should study Habakkuk because it's God's word. And so look with me at verse one. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And so here are three important observations we need to make from this verse. First, we can see that this book is written by Habakkuk. And so I know that, that probably seems obvious, but many times when you read one of the prophets, their name can help give you a clue uh, in on what the book will be about. And so many believe that Habakkuk means embrace. And so Martin Luther said that this book shows us God embracing his people and their suffering. Others have said that this is God Embracing Habakkuk and his suffering, and both of these are right. And we'll see that as we study this book over the next couple months. Second, we can see that Habakkuk is a prophet. And so he's just not some random guy that has some good stuff to say. He's been chosen by God to speak on the behalf of God. And because of this, we need to listen to what he has to say. And so that brings us to our third point. This book is an oracle from God that Habakkuk saw. While Habakkuk is the human author, he's writing under the inspiration and supervision of, this, of the Holy Spirit. And so these words are God-breathed words. And Habakkuk has recorded them for our benefit. Yet we must recognize that sometimes things that are beneficial are actually hard to hear. And so that word oracle can also mean burden. And this message is burdensome for Habakkuk because it's about God's judgment. And so while the things in this book might be hard to hear, they're here to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so over the course of studying Habakkuk, my hope is that we'll move from merely asking why to rejoicing. Habakkuk helps move us from asking why it seems that God doesn't care to rejoicing in Christ in all circumstances. And so this is why the book ends with these words. You can see this at the end of chapter three. It says, though the fig tree shouldn't blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, 
he makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray again. Father, we pray this morning that your word would accomplish its purposes. Father, would your word be a comforting embrace to those who are suffering in here this morning? And Father, would your word this morning be training us to comfort those who are suffering? And so, Father, we know that that you will do this because you have promised. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this week, we're going to be looking at Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. That's what Sherry read. And then next month, around this time, we're going to look at Habakkuk 1, 12 through the rest of chapter 2. And then finally, in April, we're going to take a look at Habakkuk 3. And so in our text this morning... Uh, we're going to see, this is my, my sermon in a sentence, so kids, if you've got your sheet, you should write this down. It says this, even when it seems that God doesn't care, we need to look towards his future justice. And so again, even when it seems that God doesn't care, we need to look towards his future justice. Everybody got it? All right, so then in verses two through four, we're gonna see our cry against injustice. And then in verses five through 11, we're gonna see God's response to injustice. So again, that second point is gonna be God's response to injustice. And so look with me at verses two through four. We're gonna see our cry against injustice. Read along with me in chapter one. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Verse 2, we can see that Habakkuk asks, how long? Then in verse 3, he asks, why? And then in verse 4, he comes to a conclusion about justice. So coming back to verse 2, why is Habakkuk crying out, how long? Well, we can see from the parallels and the poetry in our text that it's because of violence. You see, Habakkuk's prophecy was probably written between 609 to 598 BC. This is during the reign of King Jehoiakim. And so if you remember, Israel was once one nation, but following the death of King Solomon, the nation split into two nations. So you have Israel in the north, and then Judah in the south. Well, if we fast forward a couple years, we see that Israel is no longer a nation. They were taken over and exiled Uh, by the Assyrians. And even though Judah is still a nation, they're now ruled by the wicked king Jehoiakim. And his reign is marked by abusing the weak, shedding the blood of the innocent, and a hatred for God's word. We can see that in the fact that he, he killed the prophets of God, that he even tried to kill the prophet Jeremiah. And this is why Habakkuk is crying out for help. This is why he's crying out violence. 
Sadly, when he cries out for help, it seems like God doesn't hear him. Why does he think this? It's because God hasn't saved him from the violence yet. We can see later in the text that the wicked surround him and the other righteous in Judah. And so we have to wonder how long has he been praying this prayer? Has it been days? Has it been weeks? Has it been months, years, maybe even decades? And so I wonder for some of us here today, I wonder if we can relate to Habakkuk. How long have you been praying? How long have you asked for that sickness to go away? How long have you asked for your spouse or your siblings or your friend to turn from their sin and trust in Christ? How long have you asked for that temptation to disappear, that thorn in the flesh? How long have you asked for the abuse of the weak to stop? And so when we ask how long, we don't just begin to question God's timing. We can sometimes start to think that God is inactive and that he doesn't, he doesn't care. And this is what we see in verse 2, that Habakkuk begins to ask why. Notice as he doesn't say, why do I see iniquity? He says, why do you make me see iniquity? And that you is aimed at God. He goes on to say, why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk is recognizing that God is omniscient, that he, that means that God is infinite in his knowledge and that he knows all things. And he's saying that God isn't blind to what's going on. He can see Judah's sin. And yet God isn't merely omniscient. He's also omnipotent. He has infinite power. And since God is God, he has the power to end all of the destruction and violence and all of the strife and contention in Judah. Yet from Habakkuk's point of view, God hasn't and isn't doing anything about it. It seems to him that God doesn't care. And so you might remember that in the Mosaic Covenant, that God promised his Israelites that if they were obedient to him, then he would bless them and let them stay in the land. But he also said that if they were disobedient to him, that he would remove them from the land. And Habakkuk knows this and he's asking, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to do what you've promised to do in your word? And we can kind of get the feeling that, that lightning is about to fall down on Habakkuk. But before we accuse Habakkuk of doing something wrong in the way he's praying, we need to remember that this is a prayer of lament. That if you're unfamiliar with that word lament, theologian Heath Thomas gives us a great definition. He says, A lament is a kind of prayer that voices a complaint to God about distress, and it's uttered to persuade God to act on the sufferer's behalf. And so in Habakkuk's lament, he's pleading with God to bring justice to Judah. He's asking God to act according to his good character and his promises. He knows that God can bring justice 
and that he's the only one that has the power to do so. And so, brothers and sisters, do your prayers show that you believe the same thing? That God is the one who ultimately has the power to make things right in the world? Some of us here today have a great zeal for confronting injustice. And we rightly want to confront things like abortion, sex trafficking, and racism. Yet we can sometimes make this a prayerless pursuit. So where do you go to first when you see violence and injustice in the world? Do you go to the Lord in prayer first? Or do you react on Facebook and Twitter first? And so I'm not saying that posting on social media is wrong. But what I am saying is that where, or better yet, who we go to first shows who we believe has the power to make things right. So friend, our hope isn't ultimately in a political candidate. Our hope is in a holy and all-powerful God who has the power to make all things new. And he doesn't need your vote. He's king and he has all authority because all things are his. And yet on the flip side, I wonder how many of us have grown apathetic that when we see the effects of sin and death in the world, we're tempted to think that this is the way that things have always been, or this is, we're tempted to think that this is the way that things will always be. But listen to me, sin and death are not natural. They were introduced into God's good creation because of the fall. And God himself even had to send his son to die for sin. And there's coming a day where he's going to have to wipe away sin and death forever. And so again, sin and death are not natural. So believer, does your heart break for your neighbor? Does your heart break when the strong abuse the weak? Does your heart break for those who are sick and dying? We've not been called to apathy. We've been called to weep with those who weep. And so I ask again, have you grown apathetic to the effects of sin and death in the world? Has your apathy led to a lack of prayer? Brothers and sisters, our prayerlessness shows that we don't believe that God has the power to do something about sin and death in the world. Yet even though we've been prayerless, our Savior was not. On the cross, he lamented, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While also pleading, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The one who prayed while we were prayerless is also the one who prays for us right now at the right hand of the Father. He never ceases to intercede on our behalf. And through him, we always have access to the throne room of grace. Brothers and sisters, hear me when I say this. We can plead and lament to God knowing that he hears us through Christ Jesus, our mediator. He hears you. And so don't grow weary in crying out to the Lord. The Father hears us in Christ and we have all the strength we need to pray without ceasing in Christ. And so while we've seen in Habakkuk's cry in verses two and three. But now we're gonna see 
his conclusion in verse 4. Since it appears that God hasn't answered Habakkuk's prayer, he says that justice never goes forth. This is why he says before that, that the law is paralyzed. And so to be clear, I don't think Habakkuk is saying that there's something wrong with the law. In fact, the law is good because it reflects God's good character. Yet we also know that the law can't produce righteousness in us. This is why Romans 3.20 says this, No one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And so prior to our conversion, the law can only reveal our sin and our inability to keep the law. It's only by faith in Christ that we're freed from our slavery to sin and we're freed to walk into obedience to him by faith. And so the reason why the law is paralyzed is because the people have hard hearts towards God. They don't have faith in God or his promises. And so because of this, injustice flows out of them. As the text says, Justice goes forth perverted. And so you see here, justice is talking about living rightly. It's about upholding what's good and right. This is why John Calvin defines injustice as the perversion of right. It's the perversion of God's law. This law that that we confess in our statement of faith that was given by God to Adam in the garden written by his finger at Sinai in the Ten Commandments and summarized by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in summary, the law is to love God and to love others. Yet injustice looks like not loving God and not loving others. And so brothers and sisters, let me encourage you, um, as I've been at North Point over the last six years, I frequently, I've been encouraged by the way that that you have loved me, the way that you love others in this church, and the ways that I'm seeing you love others outside of our church. Yet our text this morning serves as a warning. We need to be on guard because if we harden our hearts to God's word, we won't truly love our neighbor. Instead, we'll rail against authority, we'll murder with our words and our hands, We'll seek sexual pleasure at the expense of others. We'll steal and take what isn't ours. And we'll lie and slander. And we'll desire what we don't have and grow discontent. And so as a church, we need to be those who love God and his word. You can't separate the two. And so if we ignore the conviction of God's word, then our community will be in danger of looking like the community of Habakkuk's day, filled with iniquity, wrong, destruction, violence, strife, and contention. And so, beloved, I pray that this is never the case. No one in our church should ever have to pray, Lord, how long will you let wickedness go on at North Point Church? No one should ever pray, Lord, how long will you let wicked men pastor our church? Instead, we need to pray that God would protect the elders of this church from sin and temptation. We need to pray that 
the other members of this church would be quick to confess sin and bring it into the light. And lastly, we need to pray that, that we would be motivated, that we would pray to be motivated to love God and our neighbor. And the good news is that we actually don't have to be defined by strife and contention. In Christ, we've been freed to love. Justice doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to go out twisted. And so through Christ, God has poured his love into our hearts by his spirit. And God's spirit produces his fruit in us. That's what we see in Galatians 5. And this is why we're called to exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Galatians 5 goes on to say, Against such things there is no law, which means that there isn't a circumstance or a set of circumstances that excludes us from being these things. We don't ever have an excuse to not love our neighbor. We don't ever have an excuse to not be patient and kind with others. Yet how could we not love our neighbor when we've been loved with the infinite love of God in Christ? That's what Laura prayed this morning. And what a great example of, what better example could we have of one who's loved his neighbor than Jesus Christ himself? We can love our neighbor because Christ loved his neighbor. We can love those who hate us because Christ loved those who hated him. And weren't we once counted among those who hated him, who were his enemies? And yet despite this, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for his neighbor. And so friends, Jesus isn't like the Israelites of Habakkuk's day. He's the true Israel. He always lived justly. And he always loved his neighbor. And so let's look to him. Let's ask him for the strength that he can provide by his grace. And let's continually and pray that, that God would make us like him. Well, we've seen Habakkuk's cry against injustice. And now we'll see God's response to injustice in verses 5 through 11. In verse 5, we'll see that God calls Habakkuk to look towards his justice and in verses 6 through 11, we'll see the agent of God's justice. So read verse 5 with me. It says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And so we've seen that Habakkuk has been questioning if God cares about injustice in Judah. He's told the Lord that he sees iniquity. But now it's God's turn to talk. And the Lord is now going to tell Habakkuk to look towards what he has already been doing and will do. Whereas Habakkuk looks and sees injustice, God is now calling him to look and see his justice. He's telling him in verse 5 to look among the nations. God's already doing something to answer the injustice in Judah. We can see from the end of verse 5, though, that it won't be what Habakkuk expects. 
So what's God going to do? Well, look with me at verses 6 through 11. We're going to see God's agent of judgment. It says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather like captives. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. God is raising up the wicked Chaldeans to judge Judah. And so if you didn't know, the Chaldeans are also the Babylonians. Yet at this point, they're not a superpower. As we've seen in Isaiah, that Assyria is the superpower. But during this time, though, the Babylonians are gaining power while the Assyrians are losing power. They're starting to go and take over other nations. And they're beginning to establish their empire by taking over the nations around them. And Judah's turn is coming soon. And since Judah has been violent, God's going to use the Chaldeans to bring violence upon them. We can see this in verse 9, which says, They all come for violence. And since Judah perverted justice, God will bring justice on them through the Chaldeans. Verse six, 7 says that their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Even though God is using them to get justice, they have a form of justice that's all their own. It's perverted like Judah's justice, but probably even more so. And their justice isn't concerned with loving one's neighbor. Their justice is concerned with their own personal gain. This is what we see in verse 8. It says, they fly like an eagle swift to devour. In verse 9, they gather captives like sand. In verse 10, at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. And in verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their own God. We can see here that the Chaldeans were a violent and destructive nation, even more so than Judah. And so the question we should ask is, how is God's plan for justice here okay? Is he allowed to use a more wicked nation to judge a less wicked nation? These are the questions that Habakkuk is going to ask in verses 12 through 17. This is why God tells Habakkuk that He's, he's not going to believe what he's going to do. And we're going to look at those questions in depth when we get to that passage. But briefly, though, we need to recognize that God can use bad things, even wicked nations, for the good of his people. You might remember Joseph's words in Genesis 50. Even though Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery, God was sovereignly using these circumstances to get Joseph into a place of power so that the Israelites could be saved from the famine. 
This is why he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so God used the wickedness of Joseph's brothers for the good of his people. So then what is... What good can come out of God using the Chaldeans to judge Judah? Well, Pastor David Helm helpfully says it this way. God will act for his household by any and all means necessary to bring them back to himself in repentance. We can see from Habakkuk and the other prophetic writings that God judges his people so that he can bring some to repentance and preserve a faithful remnant for himself. And so listen to me. God cares about Habakkuk's cry. He's not distant. He hasn't just made the world and left it. He cares about his people living justly, and he knows that judgment is the only way to get them there. And so do you question if God cares about you this morning? Do you question if God cares about wickedness in the world today? Well, turn with me to Acts 13. We're going to look at verses 38 through 41. So again, that's Acts 13. Comes after the the Gospel of John. As you're flipping there, here's some context. This is during Paul's second, uh, our first missionary journey. He's with uh, Barnabas, and they're in Antioch. They're at a synagogue, and Paul has been asked to give a word of encouragement to the people. And so you can see in the sermon that Paul walks through the history of Israel and he shows them how their scriptures point to Jesus Christ being the risen king from the line of David. He then says this in verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And so notice in verse 41 that he, he's quoting Habakkuk 1.5. You might notice that there's some slight differences in the quote. It's because Paul is quoting a Greek translation of Habakkuk. But the point remains the same. God is doing an incredible work in their day that is continuing into this day. God has provided forgiveness for sinners. How? Through his son, Jesus Christ. From eternity past, it was God's plan to to have his son take on our flesh and to live a life of perfect obedience to the law of Moses. And even though he was sinless, He died the death that you and I deserved on a cross. This is why our assurance of pardon this morning said this, he himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. He died so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. He died so that we could be free from walking in violent strife and contention. We're now free in Christ to love God and our neighbor. 
And this isn't just because he died. He was also raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he sent his spirit so that his forgiveness of sin can be applied to us and so that we can walk in obedience to him by faith. And so our triune God is doing an incredible work in our day. The Father is saving sinners through his Son by his Spirit. Yet we see in the, the main reason why Paul is quoting Habakkuk 1.5 is because he wants his audience to see that if they reject Jesus Christ, then they will also be judged like their ancestors. And so we see God's judgment through the Chaldeans. It's, 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 more, it's pretty much a trailer. You might remember Jeff using that imagery a couple weeks ago. That it's a trailer for a greater judgment that is yet to come. And on that day, God won't use a wicked nation as his agent of judgment. Instead, Jesus Christ the righteous will be the Father's agent of judgment. He will judge everyone by his word. And everyone who has rejected him as the way, the truth, and the life will be rejected by him on that day and thrown into hell for all of eternity. So if you're not a believer, please don't reject the love of God in Christ. God's been incre incredibly patient with you, but there's coming a day where he won't be patient with you anymore. And so you might be under the impression that God will accept you because you're generally a good person. Maybe you've told an occasional lie. Maybe you've given into a lustful thought or given into the occasional fit of anger. But you thought, man, this, this hasn't really hurt anyone. But friend, let me plead with you to think differently. Your sin, however big or small, is against an infinitely holy God. And it's worthy of infinite judgment. And so I urge you to repent and believe in Christ today. Turn from your sin to Christ. Trust in him for your righteousness. And this is so good. He's willing and able to cleanse you of your sin. So turn to him. Trust in him. And so, believer, you might be wondering how any of this is a comfort when it seems that God doesn't care about sin and death in the world. But when it seems like God doesn't care, we need to look to Christ's cross. If you don't think that God cares about justice, look to our bloodied Savior. That's where we see the just love of God. And Acts 2.23 says this, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was always God's plan that Christ would be crucified for us, for those who were his enemies, for those who hated him in his word. And so believer, find comfort in this. God loves you despite you. You deserve wrath but he's given you everything in Christ. And so when we're tempted to think that God doesn't care about wrong in the world, we need to look to the cross. We need to do what we sang this morning, 
Oh, look and see our God and celebrate the power of the cross and the empty grave. And now we're free. Let the redeemed lift up your heads. Oh, look and see our God. Weary believer, if you're praying how long, lift your head and look to the cross. If you're praying why, look to your Savior who bore the wrath you deserved. We just, we don't just look back towards Christ's cross. We also need to look forward to Christ's return. While Christ took the penalty for our sin on the cross, he'll one day remove the presence of sin when he returns. And so there will be no more iniquity and wrong. Destruction and violence will be done away with. And strife and contention will give way to eternal peace and rest. And we'll no longer ask, how long, God? We'll no longer ask, why? Because sin and death will be no more. And on that day, we, we will enjoy fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity. So brothers and sisters, we have a clarity that our brother Habakkuk didn't have. What he saw in shadows, we see in live technicolor. And we can see that all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And he's come. And we can have confidence that he's coming again because he has said in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, Surely I am coming soon. So brothers and sisters, this moves us from merely praying, how long, O Lord? We now pray, come, Lord Jesus. And so let's pray together to that end.